This episode is sponsored by Shoutout, a two-way text messaging and campaign management platform that provides analytics and facilitates conversational messaging that delivers, engages, and converts more. Send personalized campaigns from unique phone numbers to the message content itself, letting you brand your campaign to promote yourself and create your messages in a way that users are made to think you sent it personally for them. You can then monitor and improve your campaigns over time with real-time analytics. Start reducing messaging and campaign costs with cost-effective bulk SMS. Scale efficiently without having to worry about high costs. If you'd like to start using mass texting services with simple packages to choose from, visit GetShoutOut.com today. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how to use content marketing using the soft and hard power of marketing to grow your SaaS business. Today, we have our guest, Greg L. Frank, joining us. Greg has been the Director of Marketing at Empire Flippers since 2016. He joined originally as the Content Manager, and now as the Director of Marketing, he manages everything from the content to the marketing automation to vision and goal setting, all the way down to implementation. So his big goal is to make Empire Flippers more mainstream as an M&A brand and to help investors see the power of digital assets while helping sellers have life-changing exits. He grew up in Anchorage, Alaska, where he worked in the oil fields and now travels the globe networking and speaking. So welcome, Greg. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District Show today. Yeah, thanks, Akil. I'm glad to be here. Hopefully, we'll be able to add some value to your audience. Yeah, I appreciate it. So uh, I think we chatted a little bit before the show. You know, I'm also a petroleum engineer, so we have that. You know, I'm from Canada. I think we were neighbors. Uh, you know, we have that, that experience. But we, we all you know, both shifted into the digital world. Um, and now, you know, there's obviously been a lot of interesting trends happening in these last few years. Uh, specifically from the buyer side and the seller side. Um, you know, more specifically, if you can talk about, I'd love to start talking about trends, right? What are you seeing in, in SaaS when compared to the other models? I know you guys do a lot of content sites, a lot of FBA sites. Um, yeah. And then, you know, going forward from there, what do you think we can expect moving forward, you know, going now into 2022, uh, you know, things like multiple valuations and the overall buyer or seller market? So a lot, a lot there, I know, but if you can, you know. Multi-part <laughs> 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 I'll, see, I'll, see, I'll see what I can do here. Sure. Uh, yeah, it, it's a, an extremely exciting time for sellers right now. Uh, like you mentioned, I've been with EF for closing in on six years. April will be six years. And I've never seen a better time for a seller to sell. So like, if there's a SaaS founder out there, entrepreneur out there listening to this right now, and like, man, I'm tired of this thing. <laughs> like, this, you've never been in a better place to sell than right now. Multiples have just gone drastically up, right? Um, when you compare them across business models, it's quite interesting because you see uh, like in 2020, especially is when the real bumps began and like in a very significant way. Uh, and I think you see that very strongly in the Amazon FBA space. Now with SaaS businesses, those multiples have also risen as more and more investors are piling in because uh, for, for example, and I'm, I'm sure you might even be familiar with this, Akil, with your own acquisition background, but um, commercial real estate investors during the 2020 uh, lockdowns, COVID, uh, uh, you know, free rental forgiveness, all that kind of stuff. A lot of these pretty big players in private equity and real estate, they're like, whoa, we're, <laughs> we're not getting very good yield on this anymore. 
this right. is like one of the safest assets as far as investments go is real estate. But at this time, it's like, oh, this is not safe at all. Right? Like we have this right. giant apartment building that's not making anything. So there, there's actually quite a lot of private equity people that sold off a large portion of their, like especially commercial real estate, like strip malls, et cetera, to get into these alternative investments, such as online businesses, like SaaS businesses, right? So you're seeing an influx of competition and that is driving up the multiples. And I, I, I do see it slowing down. Uh, be, between 2020 and 2022, prices have risen dramatically. Uh, I would say we've reached kind of an equilibrium point. They might bump up a little bit, but I'm not expecting another skyrocket like we did the last two years. Barry, Barry, another black swan event, of course. Right. <laughs> Who knows yeah. what happens then? Sure. And so, so maybe specifically on uh, valuations, what are you seeing? So I remember when I you know, first bought my content website, I think, you know, six, seven years ago, I paid something like a less than a two-year worth of, you know, based on, on cash flow valuation. Now, when we're looking at uh, SaaS businesses, you know, Generally, it's it's very high. You know, it's five like x plus. You know, sometimes a lot higher. And and generally, they're also based on ARR, not you know EBITDAs or SDE multiples. Are you also seeing that as well with Empire Flippers? And then how does it compare to say the FBA or the content mm-hmm. sites? If you can, if you can break, break it down for people. Sure. So uh, it, yes, I, I, so the MRR thing that that is one of the more interesting parts with SaaS that is really different from other business models. Almost every business is priced off uh, a profit model, right? Your net profit. So that's how it's done with EBITDA. But with SaaS is much more about growth and growth potential. So that's why MRR is used, of course, uh, and ARR, right? Uh, so when a buyer is looking at buying a SaaS business, they're not. It, it's a different calculation than saying like, oh, I'm going to get my money back in say five years, right? It's more like the exponential growth actually shortens that curve dramatically with how the revenue works, the revenue model works with SaaS, right? So that's why mm-hmm. revenue is more important with SaaS than say with Amazon FBA. Now, when it comes to the multiples, um, we're actually like I'm surprised you said five because it actually seems kind of low. <laughs> yeah, uh, we're like, idea. <laughs> yeah, um, we're seeing uh, some SaaS businesses sell. Uh, sorry, I, I'm going to use monthly multiples just because that you know that's the way I was raised with EF. We use uh, monthly multiples, so. We're looking at uh, you know 75, 85x. So divide that by 12, you get your annual, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at Amazon FBA, the it, this is the crazy part, Akio. Like, so we just recently sold uh, an Amazon FBA business for 77x. So that's like a SaaS multiple, basically, but based right. off of an EBITDA, not off mm-hmm. of uh, revenue. And the reason why that happens is because what I just mentioned, that influx of competition that is coming in, there's mm-hmm. so much money pouring into... Uh, the online business investing space in general across all right. business models. So that's what we're seeing with SaaS uh, as well. And I think that's going to obviously continue to grow as more competition is hunting down for these businesses. Right. And a lot, a lot more of these, these funds are coming up, right? Specifically for, for FBA, because it seems like they're easy to manage and roll up and, uh, and, yeah. and kind of grow and sell together. What do you, what do you, uh, that one that you mentioned that sold for 77 X, what was the size of that just for, for relatability? Uh, if I remember right, I think it was a four and a half million. I, that, that might be wrong. Uh, I don't remember the specific valuation, but I think it was around that ballpark. But, but okay, so slightly bigger than uh, than something doing like 100k or 200k, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. cool. Um, and then on your side, I mean, you obviously you're you're an expert in or you know, very good at marketing. Uh, you started in 2016, <laughs> now obviously you moved up as director of marketing. Uh, with Empire Flippers being a you know marketplace, I think it has very similar, you know. Um, trends that you can do that work uh, for SaaS founders as well. What what have you seen as areas that 
that you focused on and where you've seen the biggest results in terms of ROI, obviously increasing traffic and eventually, you know, deal flow to Empire Flippers? Yeah, content all day, content marketing. So that's that's my background. That's how I got hired, and maybe I'm biased, right? But mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at um, the leads that Empire Flippers gets, about eight, I think it's eighty-seven percent all comes through SEO. So mm-hmm. our sales team don't doesn't do any outbound. In fact, this is the first year we're even trying outbound in a serious way. We've never done it before because we just get a hundred percent of our leads inbound. Um, mm-hmm. So. And that works for SaaS businesses very well. The, the, the nice thing about SaaS that uh, they have the advantage of over, say, like an e-commerce business, like an Amazon FBA business especially, is SaaS can really benefit from content marketing. There's just so much to talk about with the problem you solve with the, that you, of the company you founded. And this is by far the cheapest thing that you can do. It's a pain in the butt to get started. It is a tough mm. machine. And this is why you should do it because most mm. of your competitors won't do it. And if you put in the hard work, they can't compete against you. Like if someone came uh, against EF, they like they wanted to start their own business. Say they raised twenty million dollars, they would have a very uphill battle to fight because of how entrenched we are in terms of our content. Even though they can, they're outspending us every single year, like eventually they catch up, right? But it would take them several years to mm. compete against us with uh, our content machine. Mm. And so specifically, content. You're saying SEO. Are you talking about on-page, uh, you know, doing keyword research, building out content, and you know, trying to rank for for, for keywords on Google, or uh, is it a bit of you know, guest podcasting, guest posts, getting publications everywhere, PR? Uh, where would you see most of that comes from? Is like you know, a couple of articles that just rank really well and bring a lot of traffic. Yeah. So uh, the main focus of us, and I think a SaaS founder would also have this, is uh, our marketplace. So if you look at uh, Empire Flippers, uh, we at our marketplace, I actually, one of the things I did was I took each business model we sold. And when you click on the drop down on the public marketplace to say like SaaS businesses, mm-hmm. the URL slug will change. There's a content article at the very bottom, like way below the fold, uh, talking about selling SaaS businesses or, or sorry, SaaS businesses for sale. And we start ranking for all that stuff. Because all of our content from our blog is also acting as part of a topic cluster, moving uh, link juice to those pages, right? So um, we do a lot of on-page optimization. So we use uh, a ClearScope. That I, I think they have like the best UI. But there's other ones out there like Surfer or uh, Pop is also a good one for on-page. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also use Ahrefs to see like, okay, what's the possibility of us ranking on this? and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we start building out the internal links. As far as uh, uh, ba- uh, backlinks go from external referring domains, uh, and this is such an easy strategy for a SaaS founder to use. I highly recommend it. Like, th- There's two ways you can build backlinks that are like, super white hat. I mean, there's tons of ways, but two ways that are really common is guest posting, which of course we do a lot of that. But one of the ways I've done... So as I, as I uh, rose up to become the head of marketing at EF, I have way I have way less time to write like a very well thought out article, right? So like, mm-hmm. okay, well, how am I going to continue getting out there? Because content is my passion. I want to still produce content, right? right and how right. can I produce backlinks for uh, EF and uh, going on to people's podcasts? So this right here will be a backlink, right? Uh, exactly. And that gives me two backlinks, one or multiple backlinks, depending on how you distribute your show, right? With Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all that stuff, but. Uh, and that gives me those referring domains. You have those diminishing returns, but almost everyone that has a podcast also posts it on their website. So that's a unique referring domain I'm building right there, right? 
Uh, it, and it works very well for me because podcasts, it, it, like what I do requires a lot of trust. Like if a SaaS founder wanted to sell with us, we're like, who is this EF person? And then they yeah. hear me something, you know, like a stupid joke or something. Like, oh, I relate to this guy, right? This is a right. long form podcast. So it lets me build trust. This is something I would say SaaS founders should do. Is This is to me is like way more effective and way more efficient than doing cold outreach to get demos. Like I get those things on LinkedIn all the time. Like, hey, hey man, I'll buy you. Uh, here's like a $100 Amazon gift card. And to me, whenever that happens to me, I'm just instantly like, this smells desperate and you're mm. giving me a chore. I do, I'm way too busy to do this chore for you to get on this demo. Like I'm not even interested. You know, like you just right. ruined a potential relationship with me. If you approach exactly. me with value, it's way different. So um, the, the, that's kind of how we do it. I agree. Yeah, I, lo- I love guest podcasting. I recommend that. Some people think, should I start a podcast? I'm like, not for the reasons you think you should. I think it's better to go on other <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's fun. I enjoy you know, building a network. But from an SEO and like branding, PR, I agree. You're going on other podcasts um, a lot easier. Yeah, more, more Sure. Uh, <laughs> one really good strategy, and we, we actually use this at EF uh, for a while, but uh, it, I'll tell you why we don't in a second. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you are a SaaS founder and you say, instead of reaching out to your ideal customer with that gift card ploy, which is super ineffective in my view, and just like hurts your brand in my view, instead reach out to them. Hey, I would love for you to come onto my podcast. Like, That's true. You, like start a podcast about your customers, right? So if you're mm-hmm. a, a project management tool, you know, start a project productivity podcast, right? And now you have a way to do cold outreach to these people where you get to bring them on the show. And you build a relationship with them for 40 minutes. You're perfect prospect. And the cool thing about this for busy founders is you can hire someone who's good on uh, who has the, a face for radio like me, right? <laughs> and, uh, who is curious and is interested, but they don't even need to know that much about your niche. They just need to be curious, a good interviewer and a good researcher. And you allow your ideal customer to train your marketer on who they are, right? Uh, and that, that's the reason why we don't do it anymore because now uh, the person who hosts our podcast is an expert because <laughs> she's okay. interviewed so many people, right? Uh, right? So now she knows more than most other people. Uh, so this is a great tool for our SaaS early stages to leverage content and start getting uh, customers right away. Yeah, and I think you mentioned, right, you haven't done any outbound yet, but I guess this is kind of a good segue if you want to get into that race. Like, okay, we have all these people we can, you know, like you said, maybe SaaS founders, you want to start... Um, seeing if they're looking to list, now you can reach out to them and say, you want to jump on my podcast versus, you know, trying to pitch them to, to sell their business. Right. right. That no yeah. one likes to be pitched, but everyone likes yeah. to talk about themselves. Exactly. So give them the opportunity, <laughs> right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, yeah. I remember the, the initial podcast you guys had with Joe and Justin. Is that still running or I remember you listen to that quite a bit when you guys yeah. first started? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it's kind of dead at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. We haven't posted anything there recently. Our new podcast is called The Opportunity, where we uh, primarily interview business buyers because I feel like that's a story that's not often told, to be honest. Sure. Yeah. Everyone sees the big exit that the seller has, but no one sees the stress of the acquisition of the acquirer. Yeah. Like, Good all right, making this big bet, what happens now? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that, that was the original uh, thesis of the podcast. Uh, so we do use uh, the Empire Flippers feed every now and then. We're probably going to start using that more in 2022 because there, there's an audience there waiting right who want right. Uh, more EF content but uh just and joe they they don't do much podcasting anymore but every now mm-hmm. and then they'll do something yeah sure yeah cool um and so obviously the, the topic of this podcast which we talk about you know you talk about the the soft and hard power of marketing to build their business so you know SaaS founders listening in or marketers 
Can you explain that further? You know, what is that different between them and how they should maybe think of implementing that themselves? So you talk about content, but maybe you know, what is the two between the, the difference between the soft and the hard? Sure. So this is something I've discovered over the years of working at EF. And one thing that that we have, and a lot of SaaS founders, especially if you're an enterprise SaaS founder, you have something in common with me, which is a painfully long sell cycle. <laughs> so that makes attribution just an absolute nightmare to do. Uh, you know, most cookies end after 90 days, and then you're also dealing with like a bajillion different points of contact, right? So I had to look at this because our average sell cycle is like 243 days, right? It's like above 200 days. It's a very long sell cycle. Um, so I, the way I look at marketing is you have two things. You have soft and hard power. Now, a hard power is like, let's take this podcast as an example. This uh, podcast, the hard power is the downloads you get. That is a measurable thing that is directly tied to this podcast. Now, a soft power of this podcast is, let's say I get you know off of here and my, my craziest dream comes true and a person with a $20 million SaaS business wants to sell on an EF, right? And they hit me up on LinkedIn. How am I tracking that? No way. I'm not tracking that in any way, right? Not in any significantly automated way that people always love to dream about that usually doesn't exist, right? So right. Uh, another example of this, uh, of hard and soft is uh, last year, or no, uh, this must have been late 2022, because this is when, or 2020, when Clubhouse was all the rage during the summer. Um, I did a YouTube ad. We're talking about uh, business valuations. And this is a pretty, a pretty unique ad. People don't really do ads on this, right? So I wanted to test it out. And I, I, the hard power was all the views, the clicks, the valuation uh, tool submits I got. But the soft power was all the people reaching out to me on Facebook and LinkedIn. Like my friends, mm. like, hey, stop interrupting my Justin Bieber video. I'm like, oh, great, my target is <laughs> on point. <laughs> right? uh, but then I joined the Clubhouse and I was just in this, uh, uh, this group of entrepreneurs and founders. And uh, I was just listening in because I was trying to learn how the app works. And suddenly the moderators were like, now bringing Gregory L. Frank from Empire Flippers up on stage. I'm like, what? I don't even know these people. Like, what? why are they bringing me up? And uh, the guy had seen my ad. He had seen my YouTube ad. And he was like, are you real life retargeting me right now? <laughs> so like, how, how are you going to... Like, I, I, model, uh, I moderated that entire room for an hour in front of, I think it was like 300 or 400 entrepreneurs because of a YouTube ad I spent a few hundred dollars on, Right. But you're never going to see this in attribution. Uh, like it's very rare. So that's why I call the soft and the hard power. All marketing you do has those two powers. That podcast example I gave you earlier with uh, talking to your ideal customer. Again, hard power is the download. But the real soft power is the rapport you're building right. with your ideal customer. Mm. And that's, that's the one where it's like, it's, it's a lot harder to track until you have get on the phone, talk to them, ask them, right? And that's the only way I think like, yeah, we also get that where I think actually a few days ago, somebody reached out to us and you know, fill out our form. And then we have no idea, you know, you think it's organic because they searched us up. But then when we right. get on the call, he's like, oh no, I actually found you on uh, this Nathan Latka video that you were on, you know, this uh, this live video thing we did like <laughs> last last year, right? Like a year ago. I was like, okay, so you watched it and you found us, but there's no way we could attribute that until we ask him, right? For sure. And, and like, yeah. I feel marketers with, with all of our tech, we get so obsessed with the attribution. But mm -hmm. the thing is, the hard power is actually the weakest form of marketing. The the real power is the soft power. Like that, like mm -hmm. that's the brand. Like that, if you're in this for the long term, the soft power over time is what can make you just a tsunami, an unstoppable brand. And how do you, you know, so you you know, you have this kind of you know, market, you have a marketing budget, you have marketing goals to hit, and you know, you have somebody to report to who are, are gonna say, are gonna measure maybe your success. Uh, 
Um, you know, let's say another director, Mark, is listening in sure. based on those hard goals. But you understand that like, okay, hold on, this is a long-term game. There's all these soft goals that you're not even thinking about, um, but they're only looking at this you know, box. How do you kind of, um, you know, if you're, from a budgeting perspective and then a presenting perspective or making your case, how, how do you show that and uh, show the value of that, the both sides of the story? Sure. This is a very good question and there's no good answer. So um, the first thing I would say is as a founder, like if that's you, like if you're out there listening to this and you're like, yeah, of course I, I'm going to hold my marketer to the fire like that. Like you shouldn't like that's bad for your business. Like uh, understand marketing is complex. There's a lot of nuances and there's just a lot of stuff you can't track. I mean, marketing is always going to be a bit of a black box. Now as the director in that situation, I would, you know, tell the the founder exactly what I just said, you know, like if someone looked at our Google Analytics reports, like I would tell them if you believe that, then you are painting a fantasy because that's not true. That's not real. Like which one would you rather have? Would you rather have reality or a fantasy? Because these numbers are a fantasy. So for example, uh, MQLs, marketing qualified leads, we built an entire MQLs revenue model if, what's funny is, is I am a very unorthodox marketer where I'm self-taught. I actually came up with the idea of an MQL as revenue model myself. And then I found out there was a name for it. Like, oh, I'm an idiot. I should have just Googled this, you know? <laughs> By the way, I thought it was brilliant, you know? Um, but uh, so like we did this, right? We implemented it. And at first I thought it was great, but now I realize it's terrible because if you graded our marketing on MQLs, our team is terrible. But the thing is, you're not looking at the full story. The full story is most people that sell their business with us, they're hovering around the radius of our content. They're not mm. zoning in until they're ready to go. So they're actually skipping all these life cycle stages to seller submission. Now, if I was a founder looking at just that criteria, MQL's revenue, I'd be absolutely blinded to what my team is doing. And I could lose a talented team and now my competitor is going to come up and kill me because I just lost a star marketer because I'm listening to marketing tools that are not telling me the full, the full story. Right, right. And you have to think, exactly, so put yourself in the shoes of people who are hovering, right? Like this isn't a, a thing you buy at Walmart, right? This is something life-changing right. decision you make over, yeah. over time and it builds in your mind. It's like, okay, you know, I built this company three years, now I'm ready to sell, right? So... Yeah, I, I had a hilarious... <laughs> so I did this webinar uh, in 2021. I did a YouTube video about it. About my, I called it my $23 million webinar. And it was all about this subject, about marketing tools lying to you, how you can't really trust them. Like they're a good guideline. But so mm-hmm. I did this webinar and we get these submissions uh, uh, that happened or that were watching my webinar, right? Uh, but they didn't actually come from the webinar because I had a, a direct tracking link, but they were already in the process of submitting it. But because they also open up the email that is advertising the webinar in our HubSpot, HubSpot is like, oh, you influenced $23 million in revenue. Did I? Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. I, mm-hmm. I, I got a $2 million business submitted from the webinar, but I didn't influence $23 million because the way they're counting the influence is crazy. It's just like a person that opens up an email, you influence them. Like, that's not true. They might right. have not even read the email they opened, right? <laughs> uh, so th- this is all this stuff. But this is why having a good marketer is good because they can kind of read the bones that are being thrown, right? And tell you the real mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, and then, you know, from, from there, so you, you have all these people coming in. Uh, if somebody's looking to sell their business, whether it's SaaS or otherwise, what is, what is typically the, the process look like? I come to you, um, I want to understand my valuation and you guys have a pretty good tool out there. But even before thinking of selling it, I'm a SaaS company, I come to you, what are you guys going to look at and decide if so for, you can take it or not? Yeah. 
Sure. For SaaS businesses, so I actually wouldn't recommend using our valuation tool for SaaS mm-hmm. businesses because it's actually set up for EBITDA uh, valuations, right? So mm-hmm. I would I would suggest just submitting your business directly, submitting your SaaS business directly if you wanted to sell with us, which is 100% for free. It doesn't cost you anything and there's zero commitment. So it's just basically a far more detailed look at your business versus, say, using the valuation tool. Uh, but things we would be looking at is things we've kind of already talked about, MRR, ARR, uh, your users, your CAC. You know, are you hitting that golden ratio, right, uh, between uh, CAC and revenue? Um, all, all that kind of stuff. We would also look at branding, your age. Uh, and this is all part of the vetting process. Once you... Uh, and your growth, obviously. Growth is a very important one for evaluation for SaaS. Um, once that's all done, we would give you our valuation. And we would tell you, okay... This is your typical. This is the typical valuation. So this is what our sales data tells us is the best to give you the maximum price for the smoothest transaction. Uh, and here's the absolute valuation, which it could, is usually higher, but it can also be lower. Like if a founder wants to sell really, really quick, we might go below the typical. Uh, if we go higher, we always tell people like, look, this is outside of our sales data. Just expect a longer sell cycle. I'm not saying it can't happen. It's just probably going to be a longer sell cycle, right? So we're very upfront about that. Uh, there's something that really annoys me in this industry where uh, other people, they just give these like incredibly outlandish claims. Like, oh, if you uh, submit your SaaS business with me, uh, I'm going to make all your dreams come true. And then they right. just whittle you down over a six-month exclusivity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, once we give you that valuation, if you're happy with it, that's when the commitment starts. And our commitment's only two months. If we don't sell in two months, you're happy, like feel free to uh, leave it on the marketplace or take it off, whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's when our sales team and my team gets back involved uh, to do the marketing and sales portion, negotiate, all that kind of stuff. And you probably talk to uh, uh, our sales side on the seller side or helping you with the exit planning to get everything ready. And mm-hmm. uh, once we actually get the offer signed up, uh, the APA, usually it's an APA agreement and APA sell, uh, that's when we will start the migration process to actually transfer your SaaS over to that new owner. So that, that's the basics of how it works. Mm. And, and when people come to you and you say, okay, they get excited, I'm ready to sell my business. Um, you show them the valuation. How often is it that they say, okay, look, uh, I don't think this is what I expected or you know, is, is there other reasons why they decide not to move forward generally at that point? Sure. So there's a few things that happen at that stage. It's, this is especially true if they've never sold a business uh, before right. and this is like their first real business that has changed their life. And that's something called uh, emotional equity. That, that's the term I've coined for it, which is basically like this business has changed your entire trajectory, right? Uh, maybe it allows you to stay home with your family, travel the world, you know, whatever. It's done amazing stuff for you. So because of that, we have this emotional attachment to the business that makes it more valuable in our eyes than it really is. And so we <laughs> talk to our sellers about this, like to set proper expectations that, hey, look, this is fantastic. Like investors are going to love your story, but they're not going to add that to the valuation, right? Like they're looking at it, they're valuing the business off of quarter arithmetic, off of financial forecasting, not the emotional fulfillment that you got from building and running the business, right? right. Uh, so that that's the thing that trips people up. Another thing is just cold feet. They're just afraid. I mean, and it makes sense. Like this, like if you're a big SaaS founder, this is probably like 80, maybe even 90% of your net worth, right? Everything is tied to this. And it's more than just an investment. It's your life. It's your identity a lot of the time. So we actually even coach entrepreneurs to like before they sell, like, what's your plan? Like, what's your plan with the money? Like, what are you going to do with mm-hmm. the capital? Like, well, mm-hmm. I'm going to retire. Like, well, what are you really going to do? Because exactly. one of the things that happens uh, when someone sells is they 
get depressed because they lost their identity. Now, right? oh, like, their identity they're happy for like five minutes. Yeah. Like, and I'm yeah. like now what? What do I do? Uh, so yeah. these are things we help sellers with. Right. Um, and then on the other side, like, why are people selling the business? Because I, I always struggle with this, right? I, I mean, you look at a business, um, and generally when people agree to sell, you would think like, okay, if I came to you and said, hey, do you want to sell Empire Flippers? Or somebody came to me and said, hey, do you want to sell Horizon? I was like, wait, I never even thought of that because I'm, I'm continuing to build. I'm enjoying the process. But usually they're like, I'm kind of curious. You know, if the, the number is right, it's the right, uh, you know, <laughs> if this is li- truly life-changing and, you know, a lot higher than the, I have a number in my mind, which is going to be a lot higher than what they probably have, then I'll, then I'll maybe consider it. But, you know, I have no reason to because I'm enjoying it. I'm growing it. Um, but, you know, if, if I'm putting myself on the seller side, like, Usually it's like, okay, I'm, I'm getting tired of running this business. I'm, I'm, I'm bored or like there's something, you know, some kind of scary risk that's coming up with this business. And like, I need to offload this. What are some other reasons? And what, what have you seen on, on your side? Like, why are people in that position now? Okay, I, I want to sell this business. Yeah, so you hit a bunch of them. And it comes down to mm-hmm. the two main reasons why people sell. There's two categories, right? There's the, mm-hmm. the personal and the business reasons. So mm-hmm. personal is kind of like what you just said about, hey, I'm getting bored. I'm just not passionate about what I'm doing anymore. So they don't have the emotional fulfillment side anymore. And they mm-hmm. know logically that's going to lead to their business tying probably because they're just not that interested in keeping it going, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, on the business side, and this is especially true in the SaaS world, it is yeah. a hyper competitive business model. Like at any moment, there can be a VC that's sold on a dream who just gave your brand new competitor hundreds of millions of dollars, potentially, mm-hmm. right? Depending on what, mm-hmm. where you're operating, that's a huge risk factor. So if you have goals like outside of your business, say like financial goals, financial freedom, all that kind of stuff, it mm-hmm. might make sense. Even if you love the business, but you know that there are these competitors that potentially could come and uh, compete against you to sell that business because, you know, if you get three, four, eight, ten million $10 million in your pocket, you can go start another SaaS business. I, I tell this all the time to entrepreneurs, like don't fall in love with your business, fall in love with the business model that will serve you so much better in the long mm-hmm. run. Cause that allows mm-hmm. you to make moves you normally wouldn't that are probably really good moves for you to protect yourself against any kind of downside eventually. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, so in that way, that scenario, basically offloading the risk, and then somebody else can, if they don't see that, I mean, that's kind of their philosophy. Yeah. Right. I mean, as somebody <laughs> should tell the buyer the risk, sure. right? If you see sure. a risk, yeah. uh, and, and like, and I'm sure you have these conversations too, Akil. Like, this is a, a common fear with uh, mm-hmm. uh, with entrepreneurs is this, this like need to de-risk. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes entrepreneurs get the memo a little bit late because they're so mm-hmm. focused on growth. And they don't realize mm-hmm. that growth could be just as deadly as not making any money. <laughs> exactly. so, you know, as you, if you grow, if you scale like in like 10x in a year, everyone in SaaS is like, oh, this guy's a hero. But what they don't see is all the inefficiencies you scale that might be killing your business very quickly now because now they've grown so large. That's true. And that's something I, I think I shifted a lot as an you know, investor and buyer of sites. You know, initially, it was like, oh, look, this company's doing okay. I think I can do all this good stuff to grow it because I'm so good at marketing, whatever. I think I'm you know, the best. And I know more about the site than the, than the founder um, versus now is very, a lot more looking to it. Yes, we're buying a company, but the opportunity is just going to be there. That's for you. Uh, and that's your thing. But first and foremost, this is a risk the game. Like you have to understand risks and uh, you know, manage it first and foremost. And then, you know, the, the, the opportunities on the other side is kind of a bonus, I think. And that's how I look at uh, investments more so than, than I did before. So. For sure. It's a journey. It's a journey. Yeah, it's a journey. Yeah. 
Cool, Greg. So, I mean, this has been great. A lot of helpful insights, I think, for, for SaaS founders. Just want to do a couple of, uh, you know, personal, more rapid fire questions before, before you sure. wrap this off. But um, maybe just, just chat a bit about your background. How did you go from, you know, oil field, you're a roughneck on the fields in drilling. Okay, cool. And Alaska all the way, you know, to Empire Flippers, just like, you know, I had the similar transition, but uh, I worked in refinery, worked in the office and, you know, worked in the fields as well. So um, tell me about your journey. Sure. Yeah, I was tripping pipe, <laughs> putting it down into the hole, uh, working nice. with the welders, mixing chemicals. All I wore my yeah. Darth Vader rubber suit every day for 12, 18 hours a day, uh, nice. seven days a week. You know, um, I hated that life. You know, I hated being in the oil field. It was one of those lives of quiet desperations. You know, I knew there was this other world out there, uh, this world, right? Uh, mm-hmm. This uh, online world. Uh, ever since I was very young, because I, I in eighth grade I bought a AdWords course. I like begged my dad like five hundred dollars to uh, give me this course, and he's like, "Well, it's not drugs." <laughs> like, <here you> go. <laughs> like I lost it all. He was right. I was going to lose it all. He was absolutely correct. I had no idea what I was doing in eighth grade, right? So I've always been attracted to this because of the power that online business can do to transform your life. So um, I, I never went to college. Self taught. I failed many, many businesses and uh, I saw, uh, I got the, like cynically motivated where I was just like depressed, like nothing's ever going to work. I need to get out of all this uh, debt, but like from teaching myself marketing. So I started writing for less than half a cent per word for a bunch of SEOs and SaaS companies. And uh, they loved me because I was uh, unlike other writers, which is like hurting cats. They, I actually gave them my work and I was wicked cheap. And that built a huge portfolio, gave me some confidence again. And I saw the Empire Flippers job and I was like, hey, there's a job I'm never going to get because they always filter me out because I don't have a college degree. And I applied mm. <laughs> anyways, like, screw it. <laughs> and uh, I remember the subject line was like, we're looking for a content marketing pro. Like, that's definitely not me. Here we go. Let's get rejected. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So that, that's how it happened. That's the short of it. And here you are. Yeah. I, the oil feels, yeah. I mean, it's easy to get tempted to the cash, but the lifestyle is not fun at all. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. The cash is yeah. always the worst thing to chase. It yeah, is terrible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, for somebody, you know, like, regardless, if you don't have any, no education, I guess it's the best place to make a lot of cash in a short amount of time, right? Yeah, yeah some people love it. Some people love yeah. it. You know, I, have a, yeah. I remember my Derek and he was like, you know, some people uh, mm. that come from white-collar work, when they get into blue-collar work, they just love working with their hands. Have you found that, mm. Greg? Because I, you know, I helped my dad with his real estate agency when I was younger. I was like, no, glad I haven't found that at all. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> I mean, I'm cold. It's like negative 80 now. My ears are freezing. <laughs> so, so I would definitely don't recommend the cold, but I'm, I'm actually finding the opposite. So, you know, after going, you know, from that route to white collar to online, I'm actually, you know, starting to like going back into like using my hands and like, you know, sitting in front of a screen all day and typing. I feel like I need to build oh, something for sure. physical. So, yeah, yeah. I actually started taking up uh, boxing myself uh, to like move around and like use yeah, my yeah. hands and stuff. Fantastic oh, cool. workout if you've never done it. It's uh, <laughs> very this, deceptively hard. Like really boxing or kickboxing? Like actually, or boxing, boxing? Oh, I can't kick at all. I have no, no flexibility. No. I'm working no, on no. that. It's just normal <laughs> okay. boxing. Okay, okay. <laughs> like my trainer, he was, he's, a, he's a pro boxer. So he's always uh, uh, complaining to me. You need to be more flexible, Greg. Like, yeah. try and boss. Yeah, I, I sit all day. Yeah, it doesn't help. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, Greg, who or what are say some of the three best resources that can be, you know, books, uh, people, mentors, or people you follow in the space. So you, you'd say been uh, most instrumental to your success over these, these last few years. Yeah, like business books, right? Any anything books, yeah, people. So, yeah, yeah. So one of my favorite books, which is not uh, uh, not business books. So one of my my things that I always say, like, if you want to innovate, don't mm. read the business section because they're all just telling you the same stuff. 
uh, go out there and find other stuff. So I read uh, uh, the psychology book called The Believing Brain by Michael Shermer. Uh, I believe he's a Stanford psychologist. And it's all about the concept of how belief is formed and like the various uh, concentric circles of like accessory and core beliefs and Mm -hmm. how those change uh, and how they interact. And that is one of the most helpful marketing books in the world in in my view. Uh, it is incredibly incredible. Uh, another book I recommend is, uh, called plot and structure by James Scott Bell. So I, I write novels for fun as a side hobby. So I'm always interested in the business of novel writing too. So I, I read this book on how to write a good novel. And from a copywriting perspective, this is gold because the way, if you can write a novel about a completely fake world and get someone interested, you're a good copywriter. You're getting people to have an emotional experience, right? Um, so he has this system called Locke. Uh, your audience might know a thing called ADA, uh, but Locke is uh, stands for lead, um, objective, conflict, and knockout. So I actually teach my marketing team that system instead of ADA. Like ADA is good too, but I actually prefer Locke. So your lead mm-hmm. is your customer. Their objective is what are they trying to accomplish, and hopefully that uses your product. What's their conflict from stopping it? Uh, what's stopping them? And then how does your product? give them the power to level up to do that knockout punch with that big victory. So it's all about their personal transformation. So I find that a really, really good book. And uh, the final one is just Richest Man in Babylon. Fantastic story. Uh, personal finance book, but there's a lot of good business lessons in there. I agree. Yeah, all fantastic books. Uh, we'll link those in the show notes for if you want, people want to check that out. Um, Greg, what does success mean to you today? Uh, whether it's personally, business, financial, life, there's no, there's no right answer. Sure. Uh, I've always said uh, how I like if I ever wanted to show my wealth, I would fly to an exotic location, sleep for as long as I want. Because to me, uh, <laughs> that is true success. Like you can just truly do what you want. Uh, I think that's the most valuable thing. Like design a lifestyle not around things, but around experiences uh, uh, and what you desire. I think that's it. Like, like right now, I'm having a blast working at EF. I'm having, like, I love doing this. So this is like, this conversation is being part of my success, right? I want to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think some people, they build themselves traps, like seeking that uh, growth, the endless growth. And mm-hmm. they don't even realize uh, what trap that they're living in. So it's good to reset every now and then to think about That's, that, I think. Sounds like uh, freedom, right? You want to basically, if you want to fly anywhere, you want to be anywhere. And uh, if right. you want to sleep as long right. as you want, you want to do... Anything you want, uh, or nothing, if you want, and you get to choose yeah. it. Yeah, yeah the, ultimate, the ultimate flex. Like, do absolutely nothing. <laughs> do nothing. You made, it, you made it in life. Good job. <laughs> awesome. Um, Greg, what is, uh, maybe you've already, you've already talked about this. What's, what's your favorite activity or hobby outside of work that helps you get into flow state? I know you mentioned writing, boxing. Would you say those are anything else? Yeah. Uh, working out is great. I need to get back into it because I've been traveling a lot during Q4. But yeah, boxing is fantastic. Uh, I do a lot of flexibility training. Uh, I think that's really uh, like puts me in Zen, like w- with weights and gymnastic rings and stuff like that. It's quite difficult. I uh, really learned how unflexible I am. But uh, <laughs> then I also write. So I write fiction a lot. Uh, I write poetry a lot. If you add me on Facebook, you'll see a lot of bad poetry. And that kind of wets the whistle, so to speak, to just like, I'm a big fan of doing activities that clears the mind before you go to work. So you're kind of in that moment of Zen when you approach. So those are some stuff that I do that I really enjoy. And obviously I love reading. I love storytelling, all that kind of stuff. So I'm always looking into stuff like that. Love it. I can tell you're, you've been, you've been great on the show. So much appreciate the stories <laughs> and, and the showmanship. Um, <laughs> but it's working. All the books are working. working. It's, it's all, it's all paying off. <laughs> 
Awesome. Greg, <laughs> where, where can uh, you know founders listening in, business owners, any, anyone who's listening, get in touch with you, learn more about you or your work or, or just say hi? Sure. Yeah. Uh, if you want to learn more about Empire Flippers, obviously empireflippers.com is fantastic. If you're a SaaS founder, again, I wouldn't recommend using the valuation tool. We're planning on doing an update for that for SaaS later this year. Uh, mm-hmm. If you want to get a hold of me personally, I'm usually pretty easy to get a hold of. It's just greg at empireflippers.com or you can add me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active there. Or if you want really bad posts, you can add me on Facebook too, I guess. <laughs> if that's <laughs> your you thing. Sure. Lots <laughs> of options for people to check out. Hey, it was <laughs> a little bit <laughs> something for everyone. <laughs> exactly. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Greg. Much appreciated. And uh, well, hopefully we can do another round of the days here. Yeah, I look forward to it. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. Cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.